This person was talking about why they're not okay with Halloween. And their reason is basically this slippery slope argument. I have a tendency to just dismiss that. This lady was saying, I was into occult practices as a teenager. A lot of that resulted from my experiences with Halloween. Because of those experiences, she's basically said, for my family, I've decided this is not something I want to participate in. As I thought about that, I was like, how do I argue with that? Yeah. I think Halloween's okay. How do I tell this woman that she should just get over it? Welcome to the Real Talk Podcast. From Real FM, here's Anson, Kara, and Isaac. Hello, welcome to episode nine of Real Talk. We're back, Anson, Kara, and Isaac with you. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that might sound a little bit abstract. It's a a logical fallacy, which I don't know. That's like, woohoo, that's a five people got really excited. Exactly. I can tell. Logical fallacies. Yes. (laughs) But let me provide maybe a little bit of background on this to hopefully make it a little bit more concrete and understandable why we would be talking about logical fallacies. So this week was Halloween. Yes. Uh, Did you guys dress up for Halloween? I did. Yeah. I did sort of. costume? I went as Bob from Bob's Burgers. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. I dressed up for our stranger things party as yes, Barb, which Barb, kind of counts. Which was very, very well done. It was by thank the way. you. So well done. Yes. It was really fun. So all of us seem to be pretty into Halloween. My question is, as a kid, what was your experience with Halloween? Mm. Specifically with your parents. Were your parents the type who said, yep, we're going trick-or-treating, we're getting all dressed up, or were you part of one of the maybe Christian families who said, we're going to go to the fall festival <laughs> at the church, or even we're going to stay in it all and not celebrate that heathen uh, holiday? Yes, what, yes. What's your experience with Halloween? I was barred from celebrating Halloween. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom is the most polite Southern lady ever. <laughs> when the 31st rolled around, we would have all of the lights off in our house uh, and we would pretend like we were not home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Harvest Festival all the way, man. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed those. So yeah. since cool. that experience as kids where maybe Halloween wasn't super yeah. encouraged or maybe flat out banned at right, least in the right. Weaver household. Yes, definitely. Do you feel like you've gone in the opposite direction of that now as an adult? Mm. Have you kind of decided for yourself, you know what, I really think this is okay and I'm fine with it or did it take some time or? I mean, I think it took maybe a little bit of time for me, but yeah, now I love seeing the little kids in their costumes. Yeah. It's one of my yeah. favorite things. Yeah. And I think over the last few years, I've read a lot of different things of people saying, you know, as Christians, what if we were the people in the neighborhood with like the biggest candy bars and right. like, you know, what if we used it as an opportunity to mm. connect with our neighbors, things like that. And yeah. I really love that idea. Not that honestly that I've done that, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you like the idea. Of I it. love the <laughs> idea of it. So yeah. 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 I'm the same way at this point. I don't really have any reservations about it either. And I was scrolling through my social media feed and an article caught my attention that was shared by one of my friends. And it was basically an explanation from a mom as for why their family doesn't celebrate Halloween. Hmm. And I'll be honest, I saw it and I was kind of like, oh, here we go. (laughs) Because my opinion of it, having kind of had a similar experience to you guys as a kid, "Ah, you know what? I think we just overreacted to a lot of that. Then I read this article and I'll tell you a little bit more about it later. But the short story is it made me think about it, actually. It kind of stopped me for a second because this is one of those issues, Halloween in particular, where honestly, I don't even give it thought anymore. Right. It's fine. We overreacted. Case closed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my opinion on it. This actually made me have to sit down and evaluate my stance on it, which 
in retrospect, I think I kind of appreciated. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that it changed my mind, but it made me think about it. Yeah. Huh. And that's kind of what we want to do with our big idea this week is talk about some things, whether it's Halloween or all other sorts of slippery slopes that we talk about as Christians, where, sure. you know, maybe if you do this, it could lead to this. Right. That's often the argument you hear about Halloween. Sometimes we just outright dismiss that. Sometimes huh. we're really scared of it. I think both sides of those can present some issues. Hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about on the podcast this afternoon. But first, we're going to talk about what we're into this week. So I'm going to share what I'm into this week, and you two are going to make fun of me. <laughs> that's <laughs> usually I'm, how this I think goes. I'm speaking you know prophetically the now. <laughs> because I am yet again going to admit how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> Let's go. Because what I'm into this week are land parties. Oh. I. I like land <laughs> as in like I, when you first said that, I thought you said land parties so yes. I was like, as opposed to ocean. Parties? Okay, I have a like, funny story about this. The first, okay. When I was in eighth grade, uh-huh. I went to my first land party, uh-huh. L a N party. Right. Okay. And I told my mom that I wanted to go to a land party and she said, what in the world is a land party? <laughs> so that was the exact same thing Perfect. I got from her. That's what awesome. is a land party? No yeah. mom, a land party. We what make is... sensible property investments. That's right. <laughs> Oh, that would be hilarious. Yes, I was a very uh, advanced eighth grader yes, that doesn't making me. real estate deals. No, so uh, it was much more nerdy than that. The first one I went to, eighth grade, 1999, oh I my. believe. Oh, man. So basically what you do is you get a big group of your nerd friends together. You uh-huh. go over to your friend's basement, right? And you all bring your own computer. Oh. Now back in 1999, <laughs> that was this was kind of a big deal yeah. because we're talking the big CRT monitors, yeah. these yeah. giant towers, all of this equipment you've got to bring with you. Oh my goodness. You bring your desk and there's no laptops. No right. none of us as kids like right. we didn't know how to have yeah. laptops. Those are way too expensive. Right. So you bring your desktop computer over to your friend's house. Whoa. You set them all up in the basement or a big room <laughs> and you play online <laughs> games with each other on all of your computers. Yes. Because back then you couldn't really play online games over uh, the internet. That wasn't right. a thing yet because most everyone's on dial-up and right. stuff. Right. Okay. So a LAN party, LAN stands for like local area network. Oh. So you create a local area network and you play on the network. Yeah. So I went to my first one yeah, back uh, in 1999 and today That's- as a 30 year old man. <laughs> I am still doing it. This weekend, my friends uh, from college, every year we have a land party once a year. We live in different parts of the country. We all meet someplace in the country. This year it's going to be here in Northwest Arkansas. But see, that's cool. We're getting together to play some games. It's like an excuse to get together with your high school friend. Like, that's hard to make happen. If you have a tradition and something that you automatically do together, that's cool. Even if it's nerdy. Thank you. I actually really appreciate that. All right, what I am into this week, I took a road trip unexpectedly back to my home state of Nebraska, and that's about a almost seven hour drive, which means lots of podcasts and music uh, on Spotify. Yep. But I've listened to some really good podcasts on the road this time. And that's what I'm into at the moment, because my podcast feed tends to build up. I have all of these in there and they just get bigger and bigger and I get more yeah. and more overwhelmed and think, I, don't, I can't even decide which one to listen to because yeah. they're all so good and it's too much pressure. Yeah. So I finally just chose some on the ride and long trips help with this. 
And I listened to a couple of episodes, one podcast in particular, that was one of those, these people are inside my head and it's a little freaky, but it was really, really good. And I feel like it's one of those I even need to go back and listen to again. So it's called the Lead Stories Podcast. And it's a couple of women in leadership. And they talked about the imposter syndrome for these two episodes specifically. And the imposter syndrome, it's kind of this idea that no matter how much success you've achieved, you kind of have this thing in the back of your head that always says, it's a fluke. You don't Mm. really belong. At some point, people are going to find you out. That I'm faking it. That I don't actually know what I'm doing. Exactly. And this is a problem, like a huge problem that lots of people who are really successful have. And so the whole point of this particular podcast, they're like, okay, we need leaders in the world right now. This is an important thing. And this is one of those things that's holding leaders back. So we need to talk about it and address Mm. it and give people tools to deal with it. Mm. So really, really good episodes. That's awesome. One of those topics I'm, I'm even like, I hope we can talk about this someday on the podcast, but I'm not sure I could do a better job than they did. So I'm just going to tell you, Weed Stories podcast, look up the ones about the imposter syndrome. Really, really well done. That's awesome. What I'm into this week is way more lame than those two things. So congrats <laughs> to you guys. More make, lame than a land party. For this one. It is. Oh, trust dear. me. I have kind of a grandma hobby where <laughs> I go to thrift stores a lot. And mm-hmm. I like to get sensible clothing there. Like I can find good weekend t-shirts and stuff like that. Yes. Uh-huh. Usually like the company bowling shirts that are donated. Yes. Are great. Go. I can be Rick for a day. <laughs> it's always nice. But what I've been really into lately is I want to try to decorate my office at the house with nothing but thrift store paintings. Okay. That's cool. If you don't know about this, thrift stores have some of the worst, great paintings. That's true. The worst, great paintings. <laughs> the top one that I have found recently, I'm just going to describe this to you. A couple draped in denim okay like <laughs> whoa draped in denim already off head to, to toe start. denim oh hugging on the top of a mountain oh. with an eagle soaring in the background <laughs> <laughs> if wow. that isn't the highest form of culture and art <laughs> you don't know and that's yeah. gonna be in your office that's or it's already in your office it's gonna be I, okay. I, I think that i'm you're, gonna pick you, that one up you're, that's inspiring you're searching for that one or you found it i found it Oh it's my. at the Asylum Springs you Goodwill. Well, you better snap that up before yeah. someone else now, does. Now, now it's public knowledge. I know. Everyone there. else is going to try <laughs> to beat you to it. <laughs> it's, oh a little bit, it's a little bit out of my normal price range. It's about $9. <laughs> it's above what I want to spend. up there. But for, for, Goodwill, yeah. but for the highest of high art. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll drop that it. on. Priceless. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're bored on a weekend, go to a thrift store and try to look at the paintings. You're not going to be let down, I promise. Or just apparently take a visit to Isaac's office here in a couple weeks because you're going to have your own art gallery. I've curated a nice selection. It is time for a confession session on the show. I just love the weeks that I do a confession <laughs> session. It's my favorite. Yeah. The thing that kept coming back to my mind, which I was saying in my head, like, no, I don't really want to confess to that, <laughs> which is probably a, it's a good sign. It's probably a sign that I should. Yeah. My confession is essentially that I'm a very insecure person. Mm. And I think sometimes it manifests itself in this kind of imposter syndrome yeah. idea where even my strengths, I'm not necessarily secure in those. Yes. But I think for me, even more so than that, I am just very worried about what people think about me. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of curious to bring this up because I, I kind of wonder if this isn't especially a guy thing. 
not that women can't feel insecure. Certainly they can and do. Right. It's feeling insecure as a universal phenomenon. Yeah. But specifically as a guy, I feel like I sometimes have to compensate for my insecurity hmm. by acting really confident. If I don't want people to know that I'm insecure, the best thing I can do is act really super confident sure. and like yeah. I know what I'm doing and everything yeah. that I do. Hmm. And yeah. I feel like there is this cultural expectation of that with men That's, as well, yeah. that like we're supposed to project strength and confidence right. and mm. all of these things. And then when you don't do that, your insecurity is kind of exposed. Hmm. Certainly women are expected to be competent and, and those things as well. But sometimes, and you tell me, Kara, if this is true or not, sometimes I kind of get the sense that at least among friends, mm -hmm. women maybe tend to be a little bit better at times at kind of opening up mm. and sharing their insecurities with one another because that's a way that women kind of process that insecurity mm. by yeah. opening up to that, at least with close friends, yeah, even yeah, if yeah. not with everyone. Whereas with men, not only to the public do we project confidence and, and don't talk about insecurity, at least for me, I have a hard time even doing that with my close friends. Mm. Yeah, I feel like for women, one of the ways that we feel better and maybe deal with some of those things is by connecting and by hearing from another woman, me too. For us, I think connecting is the way that we feel better. Yeah. But I'm not sure that that's the same for men. I'm just thinking of some of my classes in college about the brains of men and women and how we're different and how for women, the stress hormone cortisol is relieved by connection. Mm. But for men, the stress hormone cortisol is relieved differently. It's testosterone, which is literally doing something that makes you feel strong and brave, right? Yeah. Mm. So it makes sense that you would kind of push against that and be like, no, I'm not going to be vulnerable because that's the opposite of what will make me feel better. Right. Even though it may actually make right. you feel better. I, I do think the, yeah. the times where I've managed to be vulnerable with others, there is a lot of good that comes yeah. out of that. It's yeah. really, really helpful, but it's just, it's really hard to get myself there. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy you talked about this because a couple of days ago I was getting coffee with my friends. He was actually one of the first people that I've had like a serious one-on-one -on -one conversation with another dude where we talked about vulnerability and stuff like that. Oh man. And I was just like, dude, when I asked you how you were doing and you hit me with actual problems that are going on, I was like, whoa, what uh. <laughs> right. And the more I talked to him, the more it felt better to actually discuss life problems with another mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. And yeah. It's nice to know that I'm not the only person that feels like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think guys, we just have a hard time making those really intimate personal connections specifically yeah. with other men. Yeah. yeah, It's just something that doesn't come naturally to us for yeah. whatever reason. Hmm. And because of that, there's a real vacuum of yeah. vulnerability that exists. It's kind of this vicious cycle yeah. where you go, I don't have anyone to open up to or be vulnerable with. And so no one wants me to be that way. Oh, Everyone expects yes. me to just continue to be manly and strong, and strong. and put on a brave face. And so I've got to just continue to do that. Yeah. So it's like you have to be more intentional about creating those spaces as a man because they're not just going to naturally present themselves to yeah, you. Yeah. I think that's probably true. Sometimes it's, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And it always feels wrong. Like right. to me at least. Yeah, when I yeah. try to like seek out a relationship with someone where I can be vulnerable. As a guy, if that's not my wife, it feels wrong. Feel right. Like, like you're being I don't know weak. what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, and uh, the other guy, that's a lot of times because what you're talking about with your friend where you had a conversation with each other, your first reaction to this was, whoa, whoa, this yeah. is yeah. kind of different. What's, what's going on? Right. Yeah, because yeah. it's not normal. But then yeah. once you get on the other side of it, you feel better, right? Absolutely. As a guy. Yeah. So I think it's better. something that's still absolutely needed. Worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the important thing is for guys to be able to acknowledge to each other. This doesn't come easy for me, but I still need it because I think a lot of times the problem is we're perpetuating the narrative of this doesn't come easy for me, but I don't need it. And then that makes it worse because then everybody else thinks, well, I shouldn't need it either.
my weekly review this week, super deep. I'm reviewing Kleenexes because I don't know what happens, but the allergies or something attacked me and I thought I was done with my sickness for the semester. I don't know, but apparently not. So I have very strong opinions about Kleenexes. Growing up, (laughs) I had a lot of colds and allergies (laughs) and things. And my grandma always used to have that scratchy tissue paper Kleenexes Uh, that just, oh, they were the worst. But my mom bought the good stuff, good soft Kleenexes. But now as a grown up, you don't just buy any soft tissues. I have like the specific (laughs) brand Ah, that is the best. I've figured out what the best one is. And I don't care if it's the most expensive because my nose (laughs) There are certain things that you're like, this is worth spending the money on. Yes. So in my opinion, the best Kleenexes out there, the ones I'm using right now, actually, it's the Kleenex brand Ultra Mm. Soft Kleenexes. And they are not sponsoring this podcast, although that would be awesome. (laughs) So the Kleenex brand Ultra Soft. Now there's Kleenex (laughs) Lotion there's lotion plus there's puffs brand ultra soft and lotion ones okay no don't buy puffs they're not as soft the puffs commercials are really cute the nose in need deserves puffs indeed but in my opinion when my nose is in need kleenex is my go-to ultra soft so this is good to know i'm just saying so the lotion ones they're good but they're not as soft as the ultra soft i've Ah, discovered okay so they're still good but these are my favorite. Gotcha. So how many Kleenexes are you going through? I don't like? know. That's a good question. I had to buy some new ones this week. Last night in my sleep, I have this brief memory of just reaching over to my nightstand, grabbing them and just throwing them on the floor. Like when I used <laughs> so when I woke up this morning, there was like a pile of them on the floor. I was like, oh dear, this is what happens during allergy season, I guess. So yes, if you are in the throes of allergy and cold season. Kleenex Ultrasoft, they will be your friend. A perfect transition into our podcast sponsor, Kleenex <laughs> Ultrasoft. Yes, please. please I'm going to let sponsor. you work on that, Isaac. Let's see if you can close that deal. That would be great. Maybe see if you can work in a lifetime supply for Kara yes. while we're at it. Yes, there please. And now it's time for the real life boss level that we're dealing with this week. You know that boss on the video games that Anson might have encountered playing the land parties where <laughs> it's just unbeatable no matter how many times you try to throw yourself mm-hmm. at it. <laughs> for me, my boss level this week is not spoiling TV shows for people. Oh. Here's the thing. We all watch one to three streaming platforms each. Mm-hmm. And when one of the major TV shows comes out, one of their new seasons drops, <sighs> yes. you kind of have to do like a social landmine navigation where you go, have you finished the season? Have you finished? The- yeah. Can I, yeah. Can I talk to you about this? <laughs> can I talk to you about this? <laughs> yes. And I have noticed that I have gravitated towards people like me who have finished certain seasons first. Uh. And it has limited my friend group down to the people that I've hung out with <laughs> in the last month to this core group of people. That's my so- hardcore season two fans of Stranger Things. That's so funny. That I've been getting coffee with. I'm guilty of this. This could have been my confession session. <laughs> I turned down a coffee hangout with someone what? because I thought oh. I'm not going to have anything to talk about. They haven't finished this season. <laughs> <laughs> I oh feel guilty wow. about this. That's so funny. But I get excited about things. Yes. And I don't have as much of a filter about things as I should. Yeah. So I'm worried. It's a real fear that I'll spoil things for people. Well, at least you're cognizant yeah, of that's it. That's nice. Because I feel like some people just don't even think about it and yes. they just start talking about it all over it. the place. But know? it's to the point where when the new season of Stranger Things was coming out, it was getting closer. Brie actually walked in and she goes, what's up? I was like staring out the window. I'm like, it's about to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to have to limit my friends again. It's coming. See, I don't have this same experience because I'm really slow at watching stuff. Okay. I don't know if it's because with our kids and stuff, we're just busy and so we don't have as much time. Yeah. I don't binge things as fast as other people. Movies and stuff, we don't go out to a movie theater very often because we got to get babysitters and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of times we're watching like movies on Redbox. So we're watching them like six months later than other people. Right. So I'm the annoying person that you don't want to go out to coffee with (laughs) because I'm six months behind on all of my stuff. But I don't have to worry because by the time I start getting into stuff, everybody's already seen it. The only problem I have socially is when I'm like, hey guys, have you seen, you know, episode (laughs) seven of Star Wars? It's so cool. And everyone's like, that came out like a year and a half ago. (laughs) We are totally late. This week we're talking about the slippery slope concept, which mm-hmm. first I'll give just a little bit of background with this. I don't want to bore anyone with like <laughs> logical fallacies and debate team stuff and things like that because that can get pretty abstract. But there are these ideas of logical fallacies when you're discussing mm-hmm. an issue with some friends or something like that. A couple examples that you might have heard of. One of them is called the red herring. And this mm-hmm. basically means when you're discussing an issue and someone tries to distract from the main issue by bringing up right. another topic, right? Mm. Or another example of a logical fallacy is an ad hominem fallacy. So that's when you start attacking someone's character rather than talking about the issue. One other one that exists is the slippery slope fallacy. So to try to give an example as opposed to just talking about it in abstract terms, let's say we're talking about Halloween. Someone might say, I think that it's not right for Christians to participate in Halloween. Uh And you would say, okay, well, why do you think that is? And they might say, because it introduces kids to the occult. If they get interested in those types of things, maybe they start messing around with Ouija boards. Maybe they get in with the wrong crowd. Maybe they're into witchcraft or things like that. And it Mm. could end up leading them into getting really into occult things. And Halloween was kind of the starting point for that. Right. So what they're really saying is Halloween may itself not be completely bad, but it can lead to something that is unacceptable to me. And if you fall down that slippery slope, eventually it's going to lead you to a bad place. Gotcha. And this is an argument that we use a lot when it comes to Christianity and our worldview on various things. So Halloween is a good example of that. Alcohol is a good example of that. Yeah. Dating and sex is a really good example of that. There's a lot of places where we apply this. Right. Now, one thing that I should point out, though, is just because this is termed as a logical fallacy, what that is really referring to is debating an issue. So if you're having a debate on whether a certain issue is okay or not, and then you end up arguing that you're for it or against it because of a slippery slope, that's considered not a valid argument in the context of a debate. Gotcha. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the idea of a slippery slope existing is completely false. Yeah. Because slippery slopes do exist. This is something that can happen. Right. We can start at a certain place and slide into something else. Sure. As a result of... That gateway that we entered, say, right? It sounds like a gateway kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that concept, it's not necessarily that it doesn't exist or that it's completely invalid. Yeah. It's just in the context of a debate. It's not a preferred way of proving your point. Right. So earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that I was reading an article about Halloween. Yeah. And we discussed all of us are pretty 
okay with the idea of Halloween. Right. And I, I came across this article and this person was talking about why they're not okay with Halloween. And their reason for not being okay with it is basically this slippery slope kind of argument where, again, if you get into Halloween, this could lead to a greater interest in the occult. And I have a tendency to just dismiss that out of hand because my experience, I've never been remotely interested in anything occult. To me, Halloween, I want to dress up as I dressed up as a piano as a kid. (laughs) I don't even know how you dress up as a piano. It's impressive. My mom made this cardboard box into a piano for me. I went out and got my Reese's peanut butter cups and I stashed them for like a year (laughs) and ate them very slowly. That's awesome. That's Halloween to me. Like it has nothing to do with the occult stuff. I just like dressing up and getting candy, right? Yeah, right. And so because of that, I'm like, look, the whole occult thing, that's overblown. That's not really that big of a deal. I get maybe there's some history, the pagan history of the event and all of that maybe deals with a little bit of that, but that's not what it is now for most kids, right? Right. Well, this lady was saying, for me, it is all of those things because I was into occult practices as a teenager. Oh, wow. And a lot of that resulted from my experiences with Halloween. And she told this whole long story, which I won't get into here, of her personal experience being very plugged into the occult and witnessing some pretty scary sounding things. And because of those experiences, she's basically said, for my family, my kids, I've decided this is not something I want to participate in because I don't want to get anywhere near the experiences that I had. And as I thought about that, I was like, how, how do I argue with that? Yeah. I think Halloween's okay. How do I tell this woman who's, this has been a problem in her life that she should just get over it and deal with it? Like, yeah, that doesn't necessarily seem like an argument I feel comfortable with making. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that for all of us, our own experiences color so much of our perspective on these issues. It may be a slippery slope for some people. That's that's a real thing. And I think they have to make that choice for their family and we have to be able to respect that choice. Yeah. So as you guys think about this concept of the slippery slope, does anything like jump out in your mind as this is something for me that I can absolutely identify as a slippery slope for me? Yeah. So I'm sorry if this is the most hipster example of this possible, but (laughs) I have some friends who are super into like quality pipe smoking so like they have meetups Uh, where they smoke pipes and hang out yes i don't participate in that because i'm someone who at one point in time was super fond of cigarettes and that is to me a slippery slope into Mm. that so Mm. i smell it it smells good to me i'm not even someone who dislikes the smell of cigarettes Uh, i think that it's a nice smell (laughs) so i see pipes as like a well if i can do this then it's not going to hurt me to have a couple of cigarettes this month Uh, and then that easily i see that dropping into I'm very great at justifying things I shouldn't do. (laughs) It is easy for me to go, if this, then that as well. That makes a lot of sense because, again, it's something that you personally have struggled with. I imagine you're kind of saying, like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to stay away from it. And so anything I can do to give myself some degree of separation from that is a good thing. And these are people who, like, are not addictive to pipe smoking at all. It's like a once a month meetup kind of thing. Like, it's just the same way people would do, like, coffee or something. Yeah. It's just something I choose to not do. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a huge problem with just time management, which this may seem like something that is pretty benign compared to, say, smoking or drinking or sex or some of these things that we tend to really think are like the big issues. But when I was in high school and even in college and even as an adult, some trying to manage my time with some of my hobbies, particularly Mm. playing video games, Mm. was something I actually really, really struggled with. And uh, I had to learn as an adult to start to set up certain boundaries 
boundaries yeah. to prevent myself from going down the slippery slope. Mm. So like playing video games is one of them where if I'm not careful, I can spend an entire weekend doing yep. nothing else, especially before I had kids and a lot yeah. of other responsibilities that naturally kept me from those things. I kind of had to create artificial barriers yeah. mm. that prevented me from falling into those things. So I would literally designate certain nights of the week as my game night. I would say yeah. Monday's a game night and Thursday night's a game night. But the other nights of the week, I'm not allowed to play because I knew that if I didn't set up those artificial barriers, I was going to slide down into a place that wasn't acceptable to me. And so I think sometimes creating those artificial barriers can be really, really helpful. For some people, maybe setting up those rules works better than for other people. I tend to be very competitive with Uh, myself. And so if I decide I'm only drinking three sodas a week, I only drink three (laughs) sodas a week because I'm going to like stick to that thing. Yeah, you're going to beat yourself. But I have to establish a like hard and fast rule because if I just say I should drink less soda, that doesn't work for me. I realized like if I just kind of arbitrarily say I'm going to do this less, that doesn't work out. I have to kind of give myself a goal to shoot for. And then once I have that target, more often than not, I can hit it. Although not with a hundred percent success, of course. (laughs) See, for me, I feel like I'm a little bit the opposite. If I give myself some sort of a hard and fast rule, then I end up getting into this really bad mental place of overdoing it. Mm. So for example, I'm thinking of like in high school and middle school years when there was a lot of emphasis in youth group about you need to have dedicated prayer time. You need to memorize verses. You need to do all these things. I used to mow these large patches of grass. My dad was a sod farmer. So (laughs) I mowed a lot of grass in my high school years. Mm -hmm. And while I was on the mower, I used to have this internal debate, like conflict where I was like, Am I allowed to listen to music or no, I need to go through my prayer cards the entire time while I'm on the mower. I cannot think about anything else until I do this. Even then I would finish and I would just feel super anxious about how I spent any of my free time. So if I would go watch a show with my dad or something, I would be like, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be reading my Bible study right now. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be memorizing a verse. I shouldn't be thinking about anything else right now except Jesus. And so it turned into this really anxious bad place, which is not the idea. I realize the idea is, yeah, fill up your mind with good things because that's what we want to happen. Those good things turned into a legalistic ultimatum performance way of being accepted. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's amazing how much our personal backgrounds and personalities influence the problem areas that we have. One of the best examples in my life that really opened my eyes to how differently people view different issues Mm -hmm. is the issue of alcohol, which obviously is one of the more lightning rod issues that we can Mm -hmm. talk about. A lot of people have really, really strong opinions on this topic. And obviously this is one of those examples where there's no scriptural edict that says you can't drink. There is, I believe, in my opinion, a scriptural edict against drunkenness. Uh But in terms of just having a drink of alcohol, there doesn't seem to be anything that I'm aware of in scripture that would prohibit that. But there are other arguments that are made. People talk about not causing your brother to stumble, right? There's that verse that gets brought up a lot. Yes, that one gets brought up a lot. Or the kind of slippery slope argument. What is alcohol if not for getting drunk? And so if you're going to drink alcohol, that very well could lead to drunkenness. There's addictive qualities to it. There's a lot of potential danger with it, right? Right. One of the things that really opened my eyes in terms of how people view issues differently is my experience with alcohol growing up was that I had parents 
who drank alcohol on a semi-regular basis. Uh So they didn't have alcohol with every meal, but at least once a week or maybe a couple times a week or a few times a month, Uh they had a drink with a meal or at a get together. But in my entire growing up life, I never once saw my parents misusing alcohol or drinking Mm. alcohol in excess. So alcohol was a very much a regular part of my experience as a child, not me drinking it, obviously, but my parents drinking it, but I almost never saw it abused. That just was not part of my experience. So when I started to become older and become more aware of what alcohol was, I understood that it was a problem for some people and that you could get drunk on it or whatever, but that had never been modeled for me and Mm. I had never been very close to it. And so it wasn't even something that I really thought about. I literally didn't drink anything until I was 21. It just wasn't something that I was really tempted to do. And then after I became 21 and could legally drink, I occasionally did have a drink. Uh I have never once in my life been drunk. I've Uh never once in my life been tempted to be drunk. I've never had more than two drinks at any given time. Right. And I've never, I haven't even had to make those artificial barriers to do that. It literally just isn't a problem for me. And I know that could sound like, aha, self-righteous kind of thing, but I don't mean it in that way. I just mean, for me, I have lots of other issues that I have lots of big problems on. that you're working on. But for me, it it just has never been an issue. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with how it was modeled for me. Yeah. Then I got married And my wife's family, my father-in-law and mother-in-law came from family backgrounds where alcohol was abused and where alcohol was a destroyer of worlds in their their lives. All sorts of things happened as a result of alcohol in their lives. And so the first time I went over to my in-laws house uh, before they were even technically my in-laws, I figured out pretty quickly that alcohol was not a part of their family life. It was not a part of their culture. And I talked more and more to my girlfriend about that and started to realize why that was. And when that was explained to me, I realized like, I think I had this idea in my head at first that maybe the reason that they were the way that they were is they were kind of just being prudish about yeah, about yeah. alcohol. Well, they're Baptists and <laughs> Baptists really not big into alcohol. And, right. you know, they just it's just a legalistic thing. Yeah. And as I got to know them more and got to know their background more, I realized this is not a legalistic thing. This is a thing where they say, I've seen what it can do. Sure both in my own life in high school and yeah. in my parents' lives. And I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And I'm running as far as I can in the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. Once I found that out, I couldn't blame them for that. No. I couldn't disagree with that approach to it. And I decided even for me, I was like, I need to make sure that I'm not yeah. making this into sure. a problem for them. Yeah. And that was a really good learning point for me in my life to understand yeah. that some people have very different experiences with these things yeah. that greatly colors how we view them and how it influences us. And we need to be respectful of that. Yeah. Whether or not it's alcohol or any substance or just how you spend your time. I think that when we look at the slippery slope mentality and argument, it's so important to consider where people are coming from yeah. with their rules. Like we all have our own little rules. The alcohol thing, I totally identify with that. I'm aware of every drink that I take because there has been a point in my life where I did not do it responsibly. So if I have kids, I would probably be on more of the, hey, let's maybe, you know, keep that away for a little bit longer (laughs) because I made some mistakes that I would hate for my kids to make. So I definitely get that. That's an interesting topic that I think we could maybe talk about just for a moment as parents, which I know I'm the only parent in the room, Uh but you guys both have parents. So you've been on the child side of the child parent relationship. So you understand that I think a lot of parents take a lot of these experiences they have and we have a tendency as parents to project those things 
onto our kids. Right. Usually with very good motive. Oh, yeah. Because we're saying, I have seen the dark side of this. Sure. I know where this can lead and I don't want you to go there. Yes. But have you guys ever been in a place where you feel like that was ever perhaps misapplied or overapplied? I can say for sure, like we're talking about Halloween. My parents were definitely... Specifically, my mom were very kind of ooked out by Halloween. They didn't want any of they call it devil stuff. They didn't want the devil stuff (laughs) in my house. So like the trio of Halloween, Harry Potter and Pokemon, all the things that 90s kids like cherished in and related to each other. I was the homeschool kid not getting any of that. So I kind of feel a little bit sad about it. We talk about I'm reading through Harry Potter now. Right. Right. I've definitely taken the 180. Okay, now I'm into all of this kind of thing. Not out of rebellion necessarily. It's more of me looking back at a childhood point in my life versus taking a firm stance on it. I do wonder, though, if sometimes we have that response when even if we feel like something was overapplied, even if maybe objectively you could say it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. As a child, a lot of things feel Feel like that. Like our parents are too hard on us and are overapplied. I mean, we feel that way about everything as kids almost in in many cases. And I think a lot of times our response to that can be, I'm going to strike back out against this and go the opposite direction. That's certainly a danger. Or on the other side, we could even say, well, I feel like I was kind of repressed from this and that repression sticks with us for a long period of time. For me, my parents, I got in trouble when I was in eighth grade for holding my girlfriend's hand. And my mom and dad had experiences in their relationship that they learned from and they became Christians later in life and realized we don't want our kids to do this the way that we did it. And so they had really pure motives and were trying to protect me. But I was a shy Christian (laughs) baby little eighth grader who was terrified out of my mind of girls. Yeah. And at a Super Bowl youth group party, my girlfriend reached over and held my hand while we were sitting on the couch. And I ended up getting in trouble for that and was basically Mm. told holding hands can lead to sex, which for some kids, maybe they need to be warned of the dangers of the slippery slope. Yeah. For me in that situation, I was not going anywhere near that because I was terrified of it. And for a long, long time, all the way up to my now wife, We had discussions about physical contact for me at times feels like something I shouldn't do, Mm. even though we're engaged to be married. Oh, yeah. And I'm not talking about having sex. I'm talking about holding hands and hugging. Like that was something that we had to work through. And it wasn't something that wasn't overcomable. But it was something that kind of created a little bit of a stumbling block for me in a different way that I had to kind of retrain myself on because of that experience. Being told that you're like a bad person or even getting like the messaging that you've done something so evil can be really dangerous. Because when I was younger, I had a similar example. I had a girlfriend. I was like 13 or 14 and someone saw us kissing at one point. And then I got the whole, you're supposed to be her protector and you let her down. And I'm like 13 or 14. And that was, Oh, this is going to be damaged for a while. I can Mm. tell (laughs) like what the message was to me was that you have crossed the line. And then I reasoned, Oh, well, I've crossed the line, so what's the point? Yeah. And then that's terrible for young people to hear. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been talking quite a bit here over the last few minutes about times where maybe this slippery slope concept was kind of over-applied or mm-hmm. people were a little bit overzealous about it. But I also want to touch on the opposite because I feel like this is important as well. In my experience, I think there are also times where this concept could be underapplied, uh-huh. where maybe there's a slippery slope danger that we kind of disregard and we yeah. don't pay much attention to. Uh, and yeah. so maybe there is something where like we're kind of sliding into something and maybe we don't realize it until it's too late. Mm. Have you guys ever been on the opposite side of this where maybe you've had an experience where you say, stop being so 
legalistic about this thing. Stop being so judgmental about this thing. It's fine. Freedom in Christ, right? Grace (laughs) upon grace. And then maybe you find yourself in a place where you go, okay, maybe I should have like been paying a little bit more attention to that. That's a good point. I'm actually in a process of reevaluating basically all of my tiny rules. I call them for myself (laughs) right now. Like, because for a long time I did play it really loose and kind of a little bit more fast than I should with certain rules. Like growing up, my parents, I didn't have alcohol in our house. We didn't talk about it. The tobacco thing was a similar thing. Like I had grandparents that smoked, but that's just something they did and they both are old people and it's fine. (laughs) So there was a time where I thought, okay, I'm out on my own. All of this is cool now. I'm just going to figure this out. And I'd seen from that, okay, this is taking it too far. I know what taking it too far looks like in several areas. So now it's a process of scaling back and picking the things that are like, okay, this is too far for this area. This is what we're not going to do anymore. Even habits on social media, like unfollowing certain people that are making me more okay with it. It's a hard concept to kind of like explain, but I'm in a process now at 24 of saying, I take my relationship with Christ more serious now than I ever have before. What are some things that to me, could inhibit that. Maybe just mm. my own walk with Christ. Things are holding it back. Not necessarily mm. things that are at the core of evil that are you right. Know, they're not right, necessarily right, right. objectively wrong. But but for you, they're taking your eyes off of what's most important. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I'm thinking about a dating relationship because I think, like you mentioned, Anson, that dating and sex is kind of an area where this can get really murky for mm, a lot of people. Sure. And I actually haven't dated that much in my life, especially in high school. In high school, my picture of an idea of dating was very much shaped by the I Kiss Dating Goodbye <laughs> movement, all yeah. of that. Yep. I actually, oh, to my shame, I carried that around my middle school, the book, and showed it like a guy asked me out once and I like literally just put the book in his face, which is <laughs> super embarrassing. But kind of like in retrospect, hilarious. But, Maybe you don't find it that way. But yeah, funny, but also like super, oh, I can't believe I did that. So that was kind of my world and my idea of how this stuff worked. And then my first relationship was actually in my late twenties and it was interesting. It unfolded in a couple of different ways. First, any idea of physical contact, holding hands the first time he kissed me freaked out just a little bit. I literally remember asking him, um, is Jesus okay with this? (laughs) And he was like, are you kidding? (laughs) I was like, no, actually I'm not. And so there was that, but also I went from that to trying to figure out, wait, but what is okay? Because I had never experienced any of this. So one of the things that I had talked a lot with my mom about growing up was kind of this, you know, sex is about more than just all of these physical boundaries. There's this emotional connection that happens with any sort of physical contact in a relationship. And the danger with that is if that comes into the relationship too early, you don't really know the person. Mm. And so then you end up in this kind of confused emotional state. I'm like in my late twenties trying to figure all this out going, okay, some is okay. And I don't want to be super weird and like legalistic about it. But also there's this other side where legitimately there is kind of a slippery slope here. It feels like that I could definitely go down and, it actually ended up being one of those things that at the end of the relationship, I looked back and I was like, you know, if I'm really honest, there were some things in that part of our relationship that I was uncomfortable with that I didn't want to say that I was uncomfortable with because I just thought, no, you know, freedom and all these things. But if I look back on it, I'm like, no, just the fact that I was uncomfortable with it should have been enough for Mm -hmm. me to say no, I think I need to take a step back and yeah. set some boundaries here for myself. Even if that doesn't make sense to you, even if that doesn't make sense for everybody else, right. 
in this situation, it makes sense for me. And so I think that's one of those examples where I, I started at one side and kind of went to the other and then came back to the middle. And it kind of reminds me of the verse. I don't actually know where it is, but somewhere Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. I feel like that is a helpful guideline and it's not always super clear. And it's not one of those things we can point to someone else and say, this is beneficial for me. And it's not for, you know, you can't always do that, but for yourself, I think a lot of times, you know, this is beneficial for me or this is not. Let's talk about what's on repeat this week. My on repeat is a bit of an older song. It's about, uh, what, I think maybe five years old. It's from 21 Pilots, Holding On To You. You are surrounding all my surroundings, sounding down the mountain range of my left side brain. 21 Pilots has always been a really interesting band to me because their lyrics are very fun. They put a lot of work into their craft, I think, when it comes to lyricism. There's a lot of double meanings or triple meanings. They do a lot of wordplay. But there's also a depth to them, I feel like, that's missing in a lot of modern pop music. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if there's one criticism I could level, every once in a while, I feel like it almost is a little bit too... They almost take themselves too seriously, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, This is a song that I feel like strikes the right balance between depth and fun and meaning. One thing that's really funny to me is if you read other people's interpretations of 21 Pilots lyrics, Uh a lot of times they don't involve spirituality or faith. Uh, When mm. I read the lyrics to 21 Pilots songs, I see that everywhere. Maybe that's just because of where I'm coming from. It seems to just eke out all over their music. And this song is no exception. Some of these lines, I think, are biblical, essentially. Like he's talking about flesh is all I got, not anymore flesh out the door. Swat is one of the notorious lines from the song. They're talking about how they feel like they're not always in control of their own flesh and their own desires. Mm -hmm. Talking about how the artist wants to hold on to God and kind of give control of himself back over to God. The title of the song holding on to you comes from this idea that I'm taking over my body. I'm always in control of what I want to do and when, and I need to, instead of holding on to myself, give myself back to you. My on repeat this week is the other side by Alicia Cara. So this song I discovered on a playlist that Anson's actually created, just going through it on my recent road trip back to Nebraska. And uh, my road trip was actually for a funeral, an unexpected funeral for an uncle. And so when I heard this song, I have no idea if this is what it's meant to be about, (laughs) but immediately it kind of had my mind going towards the world beyond what's right in front of me. The chorus goes, all night and day, I dream of a place somewhere far, far away beyond the crowds and city lights out of the darkness we can shine. It's a really beautiful ballad kind of song. It almost reminds me of like a modern day somewhere beyond the rainbow in a weird way, Mm. which I know sounds super cheesy and kind of weird, but Honestly, this has just kind of been where my brain is at this week, just doing a lot of reflecting on life and realizing, you know, I'm at this funeral for my uncle who was 70 and I'm looking at my parents going, they're not a whole lot younger than that. 
and looking at my family and friends around me and just going, this isn't going to be forever. And that's kind of an overwhelming feeling when you're in the middle of it. But then at the same time, there's something weirdly hopeful when Mm. you're at a funeral hearing these passages of scripture read that, you know, and you're familiar with your whole life about God wiping away all of our tears and all these things and going, yeah, okay, this is a hard reality. I really don't want to deal with this, Mm. but at the same time, there's hope in realizing, okay, somewhere far, far away beyond the crowds and city lights out of the darkness, there's something beyond just the struggle that's right in front of me. My honor, Pete, this week is We Gone Shine by Big Ye and CJ King. We fly to the top of the spot. Homie, we gon' grind to get out of the box. Yeah, we gon' find our way to the top. And we gon' shine if you like it or not. So what I love about this song is that it's a confidence-boosting rap song that isn't just materialistic and degrading towards women. <laughs> That is a good reason to like a song. I I super like it because I grew up listening to hip hop all the time and I love hip hop music so much. So when I find something that's positive and sort of fits the mood that I want to project, I latch onto it. This is one of those songs. I was listening to it on one of our Real FM playlists on Spotify. I think it's the Fresh Finds playlist. Mm -hmm. And I heard it. And for a second, I was like, oh, it's doing the Discover thing where it like switched stations. And I'm like, no, this is ours. Yes. And I'm so (laughs) excited about it. So this has been one of my like major on repeats. Just Mm. I wake up in the morning. It's one of the songs that if you start your day to it, you walk out with a swagger. Mm. And I have no swagger. (laughs) So this brought me from like negative swagger back to at least a zero to a three swagger. So I'm I'm all about this song. Check it out. Swagger song with Isaac. We need to now have a swagger scale on the podcast from now on. Like uh, what would what would you rate? We gonna shine on the on the swagger scale for people with pre existing swagger. You're gonna get a. You're gonna. You're gonna roll a plus like ten. Pre-existing condition or something like. But better. Isaac does not have yeah. the pre-existing condition of swagger. You're gonna roll a plus but. ten if you have pre-existing swagger. That's amazing. If you're a nerdy Midwestern kid, you're gonna at least get to a zero. Zero. A really good start. When you say point. the words "roll a plus ten of swagger," <laughs> that just totally exposes you. I'm not gonna lie. It's a good song. Listen to it. part of the podcast where we say a couple of words and wrap up the podcast. (laughs) So I'm just wondering if either of you, Kara or Isaac, have a couple of words you would like to say. Um, good talk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was a couple of words. Isaac, your two words. We gone shine. (laughs) That was three words. That works. You're going to have to go refill up your swagger. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk podcast from Real FM. Wake up with Isaac from 7 to 10 a.m. and catch Real Talk with Anson and Kara from 4 to 7 p.m. Live every weekday on Real FM radio. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent or reflect the views of John Brown University, KLRC Radio, or Real FM.